Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. So do visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more, uh, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. And I'm Jo Moffitt. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio, but I'm also MD and founder of Woodread. And Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. And I'm really excited to be hosting today's show, as it's a pretty special one um, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a real milestone for us. It's show number 400 in our weekly series. We've been doing this for over eight years now. And in this time, we've had some great guests, some well-known, some less so, but all helping us to shine a light on great practice and give voice to the idea that there really is a better way to work. And today we're going to be discussing why employee experience has to be a priority for all organisations right now. Our Engage for Success purpose is inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And our special, special guest today um, has, I think, done more than their fair share towards that aim. He is an internationally recognized analyst, educator, and thought leader in the global talent market, and is a frequently quoted commentator on the world of work, HR, and leadership practices. He's also Dean of the Josh Burson Academy, the world's first global development academy for HR and talent professionals at all levels and across all industries. So I'm delighted to welcome Josh Burson to today's show. Hello, Josh. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be able to talk about this enormously important topic. Well, isn't it just, and it's just got, in, it's got, I mean, it always was important, but my goodness, it's become increasingly so, I think, in the last 18 months, hasn't it? So, um, and it's great to have you doing this on our 400th show. So, um, really yeah. good that we were able to get the timing to, to work. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to be discussing why employee experience has to be a priority for all organizations. So, so let's dive right in, shall we? Um, yeah. I think there's a, a quote that, um, Amazon or Amazon's mission statement or vision is that they want to be the Earth's best employer and the safest place to work. You know, that's quite an aspiration. It's quite an ambition. And I, I, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Mm. You know, is that, is that just easy words? Is that just, you know, business platitudes, something that, um, you know, it's lip service that's easy to say? Or do you think there's more meaning behind that kind of an ambition? Uh, I think the jury's out on Amazon, to be honest. I'm not sure if, if Jeff Bezos is serious about it yet, but uh-huh. I do know that from my experience talking to hundreds of companies for many, many years, you can kind of break business executives into two types. Those that primarily focus on financial support results and market share and product innovation and so forth, and those that think about the people and the institution 
and the um, culture as the core. And, Mm -hmm. you know, most failing companies sort of become the second type of company later, but a lot of successful companies um, do not focus on people and then later realize that they do need to. Um, And he's probably in that, in that sort of category where, They've been exceptionally successful in many, many ways, and they've innovated in just so many different management practices. Now they're realizing, gee, we've got labor unions, we've got unrest and various articles being written about why we're not necessarily the greatest place to work, very high turnover rates. Maybe we mm-hmm. ought to focus on the, the internal people now, which, you know, is, is good. I think yeah. we'll see. We shall see. So as you say, the jury, the jury is out. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can sometimes, can't it, be, be one of those claims. And, you know, you see a lot of organizations claiming that they want to be the best employer and they want to be the best place to work. And, and we've, had a, we've had some exposés in the UK in, in recent weeks where organizations have suddenly, there's been a sort of big um, explosion of... Um, uh, an unveiling and an awareness through yeah. through social media of, of of what actually an organization claiming that they've got had a great culture they've been very high profile on the kind of conference circuit talking about all of that and yet suddenly um out from the woodwork has come a realization that there's some really quite unpleasant toxic culture stuff going on behind the scenes that that people claim not to have known about so um yeah it's uh, it's it'd be interesting to see how that pans out, won't it? Well, I think, I think, you know, just one more example while we're talking about big companies, a really interesting example of this, this is very well written about is Microsoft. When Bill mm-hmm. Gates and Steve Ballmer ran Microsoft, it was a brutally competitive uh, dog eat dog culture, forced ranking 10% of the employees were laid off every year or let go for performance. Uh, there, there was sort of a culture of whoever could argue the loudest would win the debate. And, you know, as a result of that culture, the company grew very, very fast and became very successful and then had a whole bunch of mistakes. You know, they, mm. they missed the Internet. They bought Nokia. They did all sorts of things that turned out to be gigantic mistakes and, um, you know, changed the culture a lot. And now Microsoft is a people-centric company and very focused on development and culture and a growth mindset. And look at how well they're doing now. So um, companies yes. go through these cycles. You know, yes, regularly. Yeah, they do. And do you think it's something to do with the fact that, um, particularly in in those sort of, I don't know, if you think about the tech sector, particularly, you know, it's a, it's an area of um, startups very much led by the personality of the of the entrepreneurial founders. Um, that, that there's a lack of awareness initially that um, they think the people. The people agenda is a bit soft and fluffy and isn't it's really... Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, the CEO and particularly the founders always set the culture for many years in the, in the early stages of the company. And, um, you know, a lot of the very successful tech companies were founded by engineers who were really interested in the tech or the market or the business part of it. And they really, maybe they never had a really great manager in their career. Some of them started very young. Mark Zuckerberg, for example, I think, started at the company right out of college, I think. Um, yes, yes, I think you're so right. They, yeah. so they, you know, this HR stuff's complicated. Being a people leader is a very complicated uh, role. And, um, you know, you have to sort of learn about it. And if you haven't ever been exposed to it, you stumble across these people issues in the middle of growing your company 
And so there's oftentimes periods of time when you're not very good at it. Performance management keeps getting re-engineered and then, uh, you know, there's different cultural issues that happen. So, I mean, what, what I've tried to do in my career is try to educate people so they don't have to go through that learning curve on their own, but everybody still does. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but no, you're right. But it, but there's also isn't there this sort of sense whereby people just simply because it's sort of hardwired into our sort of human nature that you you tend to follow the behaviour of those senior people that you have been exposed to, and if you've been treated in, by a manager that behaves in a particular way, then you kind of replicate that in your own practice if you if you haven't had an opportunity to learn differently or to learn better. Well, the thing that I've learned, I've had a lot of managers and I've been laid off and been through quite a few startups and stuff. Um, I would say the biggest lesson for a manager or supervisor leader is to come to grips with the simple equation that your success is entirely dependent upon the success of the people around you. So if you make them successful, you're going to be successful. Um, and they're all, you know, dealing with their own issues and their own needs and their own levels of expertise or need for more help. Um, and sometimes they're in the wrong jobs. Um, and so part of your job is to put them into the right job or change the role so they can be successful. And if they succeed and you're in a good company, you will succeed and you will rock it ahead in your career as opposed to, you know, you succeeding, um, you know, despite them. And, um, and I think that's not a, it's not an unclear thing to think about, but I think a lot of leaders don't understand that. Uh, because of where they came from or the job that they also the other thing is a lot of leaders are promoted because of their technical expertise or their professional expertise and so learning how to empower and um, improve the performance of others isn't maybe what they what they've done most of their career so that's a whole new thing too so yes 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 they've got the practical skills they're the best salesperson or they they're really good at coding or they've got you know real insight into into some um tech development or something but it, but, it, but it doesn't necessarily mean they've got the people skills i think it's one of the the, the the biggest disservices that we do is to talk about those things as soft skills you know because yeah. they're not well, I, I they? they're, no i call them power skills i think they're the hard skills it's they really easy are. to go learn. I mean, I could take a course on HTML and learn how to do some software stuff pretty quickly, but you're not going to learn how to become a great leader in a couple of months. Um, no. And I think the other thing about leadership and, and employee engagement is you should be a constant, uh, you should be curious about what will work const and constantly learning. Um, mm. I think the other thing that holds up a lot of leaders is they, you know, they've been successful at one company or one job, and then they go to another company and say, ah, I already know how to do this. I'm going to do exactly the same thing here. Well, every company is a little different. Every industry is a little different. Every work group is a little bit different. So you have to be sort of a constant learner and be a little bit humble in your own skills, and that makes you a better leader. Absolutely, absolutely does. And interesting, I think that leads us on quite nicely to, to the next thing I really wanted to talk to you about, which is, employee voice because um we we have we, we have in common i think at engage for success we talk about the four enablers of engagement um the four enablers of creating an engaged workforce and one of those is the importance of listening to employee voice and i know that for you that's that's something which you value enormously as well, well. yeah it's funny yeah it, it, you know i've been studying the whole issue of engagement and feedback for a long time and we've done four or five research studies in the last year on this one on diversity one on employee experience we're doing another one on um, retention 
And when you look at all of the practices and solutions, listening always comes up as number one, the most important. Because if you don't know what's on people's minds, A, you don't know what problem to solve. B, they don't feel comfortable speaking up because they don't think you're listening. So then they keep it quiet and then they feel less engaged or less included in the workforce. So this, and this came up in the pandemic, you know, extensively, town halls, open meetings, open discussions, suggestion boxes, on and on and on. Those things are incredibly useful, but not just as surveys, but actually as feedback systems so that when employees give you comments or suggestions or um, complaints, you can quickly route it to the right person and not sit on it and try to write a research report on what's going on. Uh, that's a massively important part of employee vo- of, of employee experience right now is is creating a system for employee voice and a culture around it. Yes, yes, and that's really I mean that's that's just be- become again as with so many things that have been amplified. The importance of so many aspects of all of this has been amplified in the last eighteen months, hasn't it? But certainly from what I've seen, there's organisations who have come, who, who, if you like, in inverted commas, have had a, have had a good pandemic, um, are the ones that have really proactively and intentionally set out to listen to their employee voice, whether it be how we're going to start adopting a remote working culture, how we're going to implement working from home, if, if that's something that's appropriate for our business. And then equally, uh, almost more importantly, actually, um, now that organizations are starting the process of opening up again and returning perhaps to the workplace, how are we going to do that in a way that will make you feel safe and um, confident that you can come back to work safely and that you're, we, we've got your well-being at heart? Um, and to do that in a more, uh, a much more frequent and, and have much you know, much uh, greater number of ways to do that than just the sort of um, annual survey or biannual survey or whatever it might be. Well, um, yeah, I mean, the topic of, of, of hybrid work is very, very hot, of course. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- what I believe is happening is um, some companies are behaving like we're going to go back to where we were two years ago. And so they're trying to rewind the clock and say, all right, Back to work, back to the office. Uh, you know, Jamie Dimon's famous quote, quote was, if you want to make New York salaries, you got to come to New York. So okay. show up in the office. Um, you know, which, which I understand why he says that, but that's not actually what happened. We, we all learned that remote work and work at home and video and the Internet actually works really well. It's not for everyone. It's not for everything, but it works really well for many things. And instead of spending you know, two hours or three hours a day commuting, some days it's much better to stay home and get things done. Um, and so hybrid work to me is a step forward into a more mature, sophisticated, flexible work experience. And it doesn't mean people aren't going to come in the office and they aren't going to be face-to-face because we definitely need that. But, um, but we've kind of broken this stigma of if you're not here, you're not working. And that's really was the way a lot of people thought before this all happened. Absolutely. Um, managers and team leaders and senior leaders have had to learn to trust their people, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. In fact, trust comes up over and over again as the biggest issue in remote work. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've worked remotely and managed remote people for 25 years. And actually, you know, I've never found somebody who is goofing off ever. 
they were busy. Maybe they had distractions. Maybe they didn't get something done exactly at the moment in time when I wanted it done because they had something else going on. But you've got to check in with people and keep in touch so you know what they're dealing with because you can't just walk by their desk. But once you get used to that kind of experience, um, people work hard. I mean, most people, 99% of people come to their jobs and really want to be successful. Uh, they, they don't, they're don't, they don't working at home to yeah. 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 I mean, somebody said to me once, you know, the irony of, of so much HR practice and policy is that actually policies and, and the practices are developed for the 0.01% who are going to be that problem rather than written with the 99.9% well, in mind. That's, true. that's one of the knocks on HR is that the HR department is the compliance and the policy police and so forth. But I, I, my experience with HR people is most HR people are very enlightened about this. Uh, and they're the ones pushing back on leadership saying, well, maybe we should be make things more flexible. And, um, you know, they're yeah. usually advocates for the employees. Um, you yeah. know, but there is an issue. There's a, you know, another issue that's interesting, Joe, is, is hiring. Every company mm-hmm. has a particular culture. Some companies are very hard charging, competitive, dynamic, you know, get this done on time, hard work. Um, if you hire somebody who doesn't fit into that culture and then all of a sudden they're injected into this very highly demanding culture and they're working from home, that's not going to be a good fit. So no. every cultural mismatch that you might have had in the office is much accentuated, accentuated in remote work. So it does you know, force you to be even more selective and more careful about who you hire. But, but I, I don't think we're going back to everybody in the office all the time. No. So, so I think that's an interesting, interesting thought to pursue this idea of the, the challenge of, of maintaining your organizational culture in a hybrid workplace. Um, what, what, what do people need to do to, um, you know, make sure they can do that? I mean, because it, it's not, it, it can't just be about, because the other side of the equation well, the other side of what you've just described is that people hire people in their own images, which clearly isn't a good thing. Um, but it's mm-hmm. about cultural, which people misunderstand, don't they? When you, when you talk about cultural fit, people often get the wrong end of the stick and think you mean you just employ more people like yourself. And that's really not what we're talking about. But how, how do organizations go about protecting and building their culture in that kind of hybrid world of the future then? Do you think, Josh? Well, it's a good question. We, we're, I, I think I mentioned earlier, we're launching a big piece of research on Wednesday that everybody will be able to download that actually kind of walks through the dimensions of that. Um, uh-huh. But <clears throat> I, I think the, most cultures exist already. So you, if you suddenly inject hybrid work into a culture, you didn't change the culture. You just created a new environment for that culture to take place. Um, okay. and, in, and you probably are going to be talking about culture a lot more than you were before uh, because people at home are uh, maybe they're distracted. They don't necessarily know what to work on. Uh, They might have technical issues or family issues at home and you need to check in with them. Um, I I think the number one way to continue to, to build culture and to improve culture is through listening and talking to people and creating a sense of trust that you care. Um, you don't have to spend an hour on the phone with somebody to give them a sense that you're paying attention to them. You can have a five minute conversation or even a couple of text messages and they'll realize 
you know, what your expectations are or what the company's expectations are. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and, and you can't ignore that. I, I'm not sure you can ignore it in the office either, but <clears throat> you can't ignore that in the hybrid work environment at all. Um, and if you're a very demanding company and growing, which most companies are, and you're expecting people to get things done on time, um, and they're showing up into a meeting late or not finishing things on time, you need to be clear with them that, mm. you know, you're holding everybody else up. So, mm -hmm. you know, is there mm -hmm. something we can do to help you get things done, uh, you know, in a more timely fashion? Those are all okay. cultural conversations that I think companies are having a lot right now because of the mixed up work experience we're having. Also, some people are still going through the pandemic. I mean, there's most companies are global and there's some cities and countries that basically they can't come back to work yet. So, yes, um, yes, well, there's lots of things still happening. Yeah, certainly the case here that still an awful lot yeah. of organizations aren't, aren't back. But, I mean, that brings us right back to employee voice again, doesn't it? But in a, in a, a kind of with the proviso that employee voice isn't always about these formalized things. It can be as much about those informal manager to team conversations, picking well, up the in phone. Fact, I'll give you one story on employee voice I think is important for people to think about. It's not just a survey. So most of the time, people, you know, the employees have more suggestions for improving the company than anybody, much more than customers do. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a company, an electric utility that had a big fire, and it was a very big insurance disaster. People were killed. It was kind of an explosion. And after it was all over and they did the postmortem, they found out that a lot of employees were suggesting and recommending that they did more maintenance on some pipes in a certain part of the network that nobody was paying attention to. They weren't reading it. They weren't hearing it. I don't know where the information was going. That was an employee voice trying to speak up saying, hey, we got a problem. We wish you guys would fix this. And sure enough, it turned into a disaster. <clears throat> Those kinds of things are going on all the time. And so if you don't have an open system for communicating communication, and listening mm -hmm. to those kinds of suggestions, you're missing out on all sorts of things that will make your company better. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In fact, our in, one of the co-founders of Engage for Success, um, Nita Clark, who, who is the co-author of the original McLeod report that um, uh, the, the, the movement kind of grew out of, has a lovely phrase. So I don't know whether you'll have heard it, but she describes employee voice as the best smoke alarm your business can ever have. <laughs> that's a really good. That's good. It's good, isn't well, it? it? I mean, it yeah, absolutely says all well, you need to know. You know and there's another, there's another point that I, that I like to remind people of. Employees are the most vested stakeholders in your company. Shareholders can sell their stock. Customers can buy other products. Investors can go elsewhere. Employees are living their lives in your company. When they speak up, they really, really mean it. So they're worth listening to. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and in, interestingly, yeah, yeah, they are they are the most vested stakeholder, and yet by and large, organisations often think in the first place to um, focus on getting customer feedback and measuring customer experience, perhaps rather than right. employee experience. Right. I mean, don't I mean they? exactly. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're missing out. That's why EX is becoming just as big or bigger than CX. Is is you know, the employees are a voice of the customer and on behalf of the customer. I'll tell you just a funny story. Over the weekend, I was one of my relatives works for Tesla, and he's mm -hmm. been there a long time. And I asked him, 
you know, well, Elon must really love the fact that you've been there so long. And he goes, mm, I don't think so. Elon's attitude is, what have you done for me lately? That's it. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not anything against Elon Musk. I don't even know him. But that is sort of the wrong attitude. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. These people are here to make the company better. It's their company, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. And so it, it, it's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, CX is deemed to be such an important measure, um, you know, in terms of the, what gets reported to boards and everything else. But, you know, is, is EX up there yet, would you say, or are we gradually getting it's to probably that not as big. I, I think it's a, it's a much, it will ultimately be a market that will be as big as EX, probably. Um, there are, you know, 2 billion people working in the world, and they're all employees of something. Um, mm -hmm. So everybody is a customer is also an employee. So there's just yeah. as many employees as there are customers. So if you multiply yeah. the numbers, it's probably the same size market, but it's behind. You know, the EX market is 10 years behind the CX market. I worked in database marketing in the 1990s when we were doing mm -hmm. customer segmentation and all sorts of detailed analysis of market baskets of customers. We're just mm -hmm. beginning to think about that in employees, employee personas and employee journeys. We're just starting that in the last couple of years. Yeah. So I think we're about a decade behind, but it's going to pick up yeah. fast. There's a, there's a lot of the techniques and the approaches of the customer marketing world, which is kind of where, where I come from, that, that could very uh, the, the, have huge validity when applied internally inside organizations, that's for sure. So we've got a, a few minutes left. We've got just five minutes left, Josh. Can we, can we just turn now to perhaps look to the future a little bit? And, mm -hmm. and we've, we've touched on it a bit as, as businesses are beginning to rebuild. Um, some are coming towards the end of the COVID pandemic, luckily, and some have still got a fair journey to, to travel on. Um, but I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk around at the moment that employees are restless and that they're starting to look to change jobs. Um, certainly surveys indicate that employees are, very high proportion of employees are saying, right, now I'm going to start thinking about moving in the next 12 months. So how, yeah. you know, what, what, what's your take on that? You know, are you optim optimistic that companies can respond to that challenge? And if so, I think you know, what are some of the I top line things they need to do? It's a huge challenge and everybody better get focused on it because, you know, in the U.S., 4 million people voluntarily quit in April. That's, that's 2.83% of the workforce. So people are willing to move. They're willing to quit and look for another job when they feel like there's one out there. I went okay. through this before. I've been through a couple of these economic cycles. And losing somebody is very expensive. Um, yes. Keeping them is much easier. So yes. I think this is a big wake-up call for companies that haven't been through this kind of an economic cycle before. Taking care of your people, moving them into new roles, developing them, giving them a little more money. It isn't just about money. It's really about mm -hmm growth and, and a feeling of belonging and opportunities. Um, I think companies are, you know, really realizing, oh, gee, we need to dust, dust off that playbook from the year 2001 or the last time we had one of these cycles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. And, and that kind of brings us right back to square one where we started this conversation around the, you know, the recognizing that actually the people agenda is, a, is, is not just a nice to have, it's not just soft and fluffy and pink, it is absolutely business critical 
um, in terms of a sustainable organization because, you know, 40% of your people are potentially thinking about quitting, which is a percentage of a stat I saw recently. You know, that's, that's pretty darn expensive, isn't it? Well, and you can deal with it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you don't have to pay people a huge salary to get them to love your company. Uh, if they're well taken care of, they like their job, they're, go- they're getting good feedback, you're appreciating them, uh, they're, pre- they're making some progress in their career, they're not going to ask you for doubling of your salary. And if they do, fine. They're going to go somewhere else and they're going to leave that company too. Um, it's many, many of these um, in- engagement practices are common sense things that make people feel better about their work and their careers uh, that, you know, kind of companies, most companies know in their heart and they need to dig that stuff out and brush it off. Yes, uh, yes. I think that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's not, none of it's, nec- I, hate, I hate the phrase to say, you know, it's not rocket science, but actually a lot of it is, is, is not overly difficult, but it's the challenge is, is, is being sustained about it. The challenge is being consistent about it and being intentional about what you do, I think, isn't it? To, to and and embedding it into the management culture so it isn't just mm. one person, but everybody mm. feels as leaders, as supervisors, that it's your responsibility to represent company well and that we're not going to promote you as a leader if you're hard on the people and your turnover rate is high and that so that so they have this chain of of behavior all the way up and down the management chain um, that's what yeah. great companies do is you know everybody yeah. feels the same way and everybody understands what the value system is yeah no absolutely couldn't agree more and um, josh we've come right to the um, end of our time i'm afraid so very very quickly um just a quick reminder um i think you said that the your um, results of the survey are available um on wednesday um from your mm-hmm. website yeah, yeah? And um, people will be able to download that. So I think there's going to be some real um, rich content there to look out for. But really all that remains then is for me to say thank you very much, Josh Bursin, for being our special guest on our special 400th edition of thank Engagement you, Press Radio. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope thank we'll be able much. to have I'm you back on again in the future. Um, and um, we'll see everybody next uh, same time next week. And don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. So thank you again, Josh. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.